This is Bob Morris and Desert Horticulture. If my soil is still cold, how do I get it to warm up? My apricot tree is flowering, but it's going to snow. I didn't get much apricot jam this past year because the apricot fruit production was so low. What should I do about it? My Fuji apple hasn't flowered since I put it in the ground six years ago. Should I take it out? I think my silk tree has that disease you talked about. If I take it out, should I put anything in the same hole? These questions will be answered and more on Desert Horticulture. Learn more about Desert Horticulture by signing up for my blog, Extreme Horticulture of the Desert. That's all one word, Extreme Horticulture, and starting with an X. Take some of my classes on Eventbrite if you're in the Las Vegas area. That's Bob Morris on Eventbrite. My apologies to the listeners, to you guys. Uh, I'm in my farm in the Philippines right now. Also, I don't have the microphone that I usually use. It's a Yeti, and this one is a headphone microphone, so I hope you'll please excuse the, uh, the lack of quality on that. Thanks. Many people contacted me whether they could plant seed or just put plants into the ground because of this unusually cold weather. And I want to talk a little bit about this possibility. Because if you're in February, uh, just depending upon the weather, some people, some good gardeners, will look at the next, the forecast for the next 7 to 10 days and make a decision about whether it's time to put in uh, some of these uh some of these warm type vegetables, warm season vegetables like tomatoes and and uh, peppers and and eggplant and things like that, <clears throat> or whether they should hold off for a while. A lot of that has to do with the up and coming weather. So uh, in February, for instance, if you look at the whole month of February in uh, 2019, we had. Uh, seven nights when we either had freezing temperatures or below freezing temperatures according to one um, one weather station in the Las Vegas area that was a <clears throat> that was a weather station that everybody listened to and that doesn't mean whether you were going to get freezing temperatures in your backyard or not but it did give you an idea whether the temperatures were heading in a direction that was going up or whether they were going back down. Generally speaking, if I have, uh, if I'm going to put in uh, tomato plants, for instance, which are warm season vegetables, they really like soil temperatures that are warmer than, than the cold season, the cool season vegetables do. So the soil temperatures I like to see with warm season vegetables like tomatoes for instance I like to see that at least 55 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit with a trend going upwards not a trend that's staying the same or going downwards Uh, because uh, these temperatures even though we might get seed germination or we might get root growth of these vegetables under cool soil conditions it won't be vigorous and their ability if you want to call it that to 
withstand disease problems and resist diseases just like us are going to be much greater under warm temperatures than they're going to be under cool temperatures. So a lot of that has to do with regeneration of the roots and uh, if it's going to regenerate faster then some roots might be lost according uh, to some disease problems for instance. So we like to see warm temperatures starting to trend. So if you started looking at in February for instance there weren't any really good decent days to put in warm season vegetables. They they were all cold. Uh, the temperatures were horrid for warm season vegetables so you might be tempted to put in tomato plants for instance transplants you might be tempted to put them in in mid-February thinking you're going to get a jump on things but if you don't see that those temperatures starting to trend upwards you're going to be in you're going to be in trouble so a good gardener will look at that they're making that decision the second thing a good gardener will do is somehow make that soil better suited to these warm season vegetables like tomatoes and peppers and the way to do that is to allow that soil to warm up during the day and cool off at night that doesn't happen unless that unless that soil is fluffy unless it has that that air warm air temperatures during the day when the sun is out unless it can pull that warmth into the soil and warm up during the during the day and then cool off at night you're not going to see a lot of root growth if it's going to stay cool during that time period or if you don't fluff up the soil you don't allow that soil to warm up during the day when the soil temperatures are getting warmer you're going to lose a lot of that advantage that you could have if you were to fluff that soil up how do you fluff that soil one way to do it is to add compost compost to that soil. Anything that's going to bridge those soil particles and allow more air into the soil. And that could be that could be coconut coir if you wanted to. It could be peat moss if you wanted to. Anything that's going to help. Any organic source that's going to help open that soil up. I would stay away from things like perlite or vermiculite. That's not going to be a good answer for you. You really need organic content. If you've got the organic content already there, then you might add these other things such as uh, the, the, as I mentioned before, the vermiculite or perlite to that soil mix if you wanted to. But also if you've got uh, organic, and if you've got enough organic content, you don't want to add that much more to it. There's no point in adding more and more organic content. I remember one person who brought in their soil and it had uh, they had spent uh, their money on on having some soil tests done, quite a bit of money, and they found out their nutrients were quite low. But when I looked at the soil test results, the organic content was real high. Well, what they had done is they added a lot of coconut coir, which doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it, and instead of uh, then paying attention to the to the nutrient content of the soil, they just thought that just by fluffing that soil and making it 
better to grow in that the plants would be fine. And you've got to have both. It's not one way or another. So if you've got a soil that's already rich, let's say you added compost to it, not that a rich compost. I'm not talking about any old compost, but a compost that has a lot of nutrients in it, like those composts that are made from from animal manures or even human manures, uh, the biosolid material that's used in it. Those are going to be pretty rich in nutrients. And you probably don't need to add much fertilizer, if any at all. If you're going to add a fertilizer to something like that, you would add a phosphorus fertilizer, that middle number, just for root growth and uh, flower production, if, if that's what you're shooting towards. But anyway, you want to fluff that soil up so that the warm air temperatures during the daytime have a chance to warm that soil during the day and then allows it to cool at night. It's not important to keep it warm all the time, but it's important to, at least during the daytime, allow it to warm up. And if that soil has been pushed down, compacted, and it and that those, those air spaces in the soil are not bridged properly with organic content, then it's not going to warm very well at all. So uh, you can do that by just putting a, a one-inch layer of compost or your favorite soil amendment on top and then double dig it in. Dig it in or rototill it in or something incorporated. Don't beat it to death when you do it. You just wanna, you want those, uh, you want that it turned in and mixed, but you want to stop at that some point. You don't want to pulverize that soil. That's just asking for too much. Uh, that's just going way overboard. You don't need to do that. You just need to mix it so that there are, are cracks. For the, when you're done with it, you don't need it to look like, like, uh, like a soil that you'd buy in a bag. It's not that important. You want those particles, those balls, of those clods of soil to be smaller than a golf ball. If you're putting in transplants, it's even smaller than that if they're really tiny seeds. But you, if you're putting in transplants like tomato transplants, then you don't need you don't need to pulverize that soil. All you need to do is is open it up, let some of that air into it. And if that's still a problem for you, you might want to even consider the uh, the idea that in the row where you're putting the transplants you might want to build it up a little bit higher than the surrounding soil so that water will drain away from it. It will drain downward into the low spot so that you have lower areas that are more compacted and that's where the water's going to drain. And those areas where you're planting are a little bit higher than the other parts of it so that it warms up a little faster so that the warm air temperatures will have a chance to push that soil temperature up a little higher. You know, one thing that I used to use, I don't use it much anymore. I, I judge a lot of it just by experience and whatnot. But if you're, if you're not sure of yourself, it's not a bad idea to have one of those little soil, uh, like an Accurite uh, soil thermometer. They're, they're not expensive. They're like $10. You can buy them online, like at Amazon and whatnot. Well, but that has a, lo a long probe on it, about a 12-inch probe on it. And so when you're putting it into the soil, that's the first question people ask is, where do you measure that soil temperature? If we need that 55, 60 degrees minimum, well, then push it in slowly at first. 
push it into the surface, get that soil temperature at the surface during the daytime, and push it down. Where are those roots going to be on those tomato plants when you plant them? They're probably going to be on the upper two inches of that soil, and that's where you want to get that soil temperature. You want to look at that soil, because when it's cool, the warmer soils on the surface are going to get warm up first, and so that's where the roots are going to tend to grow first, and then the roots, as the soil gets warmer, the roots will grow deeper, and as that gets warmer and warmer yet, that surface soil is going to dry out, and those roots that are further and deeper in the soil are going to have more moisture and more air, so they're going to grow more better than than soils that are on towards the surface. And when it starts to get really in the warm, 85, 90 degree temperatures, that's when you'll want to put on your surface mulches. Uh, the surface mulches I like to use are are things such as. Uh, uh, People like to use straw. I don't care for straw because it's really hard to till it into the soil and get it to break break down very easily because it's got a lot of fibers in it. But uh, I do like to use uh, sometimes some of this bedding material that's used for horses or for gerbils and that kind of thing. Just a, a thin layer on, on the surface of the soil, not deep, quarter of an inch, just enough to shade the surface of that soil. You don't want it deep just enough to slow the evaporation of water from that soil so that roots will have it. But you don't want to apply this early. You want to apply it after the soils begin to warm up for warm season vegetables. Don't do it too early or they'll stay cool and it'll slow everything down for you. But anyway, get it fluffed up. Uh, another thing that you can use in it if you want to fluff up the soil or get it to warm up is uh, to use things like clear plastic. <clears throat> clear plastic works great if it's tacked down and there's no open sides on it for the warm air to escape. But it does a great job in warming up that soil. You, you tack it down to the surface of the soil about a week ahead of time and then with, with a razor blade just slice where you're going to put your transplants because now the soil has started to warm up. You can put that transplant in the ground where it's warm, water it through that slit as well if you need to, and then just hold off. And now, now, the, now the soil temperatures are nice and warm because of that clear plastic, or you could use black plastic if you want to. It's nice and warm, and you'll get good root growth in preparation for the top growth for flowering and whatnot. So cool season plants like peas, beans, spinach, radishes, beets, pansies, snaps, sweet alyssum, California poppy, larkspurs, violas, bachelor buttons can handle the cooler air and soil temperatures, 40, 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Use that little thermometer and you can plant them than the warm season types. But if you're going to get into the warm season types, then these are the tropical plants such as tomatoes, peppers, potatoes, squash, melons, annual flowers like impatience, marigolds, petunias, geraniums, salvia, celosia, zinnias, they require warm soil temperatures, 60, 70 degrees at the time of planting. So you'll, you'll find differences too within those groups. Some of them like a little bit warmer soils, some of them like don't they can grow just fine in a little bit cooler soils, but generally speaking those are the temperatures that warm season types bracket and cool season types 
bracket. That's 60 to 70 degrees for the warm season and 50 to 40 to 50 degrees for the cool season. So uh, keep that in mind when you're planting. The next question, my neighbor with an apricot tree is concerned about the forecast of snow. She said her tree is in full bloom and was worried about the forecast of snow later in the week. Any advice? Well, if that temperature, if it's snowing, there is a reasonable chance that it might not dip too much below freezing temperatures. Generally speaking, when it snows, it's a little bit warmer than if it doesn't snow. But that being said, if you have flowers that are wide open and there are freezing temperatures and you get to freezing or even one degree below freezing, the ovaries in those open flowers are going to die. They're very tender to freezing temperatures. They're not going to handle it well at all. So <clears throat> freezing temperatures if they're in full bloom, it doesn't matter what it is. If the flowers are open, they're not going to withstand any freezing temperatures at all. If the flowers are not quite open, they're going to withstand a little bit of freezing temperature, a couple of degrees, but not much. And also, after they've flowered and they've got those little tiny tender fruit sticking from those flowers after they've been pollinized, then they're, they're also very, very tender. And young fruit are very tender. This is why we have problems with citrus when they flower in February and even sometimes in March. And even some of our fruit trees like plums, some of the plums, the pluots in particular. I remember Flavor Supreme Pluot. Yeah, I was real excited when I tasted that fruit. It was great. But it just cannot handle any freezing temperatures if the flowers are open, if there's small fruit on the tree, none whatsoever. Those freezing temperatures will kill the fruit and kill any production at all. And that's why we'll have maybe uh, maybe three years out of five, we'll have decent production in the Las Vegas Valley because of late freezes in, in, uh, in early spring. But uh, if you've got that apricot tree open, yeah, there's not much that you can do. I mean, there's realistically speaking, I mean, speaking, there are things commercial producers can do. They can sprinkle the trees with water, for instance, and that freezing temperatures, just if, if it doesn't get too, too cold, is enough. The freezing temperatures are enough to release enough heat to keep it from freezing. But again... If those freezing temperatures get too low, there's really nothing you can do. Not even the ice that would form on the fruit will be enough to save it from getting destroyed and uh, reducing your your <coughs> your uh, production for that year. Also, keep in uh, mind about cool temperatures and bee activity. And fruit trees don't just require open flowers, but they also require some sort of an insect visiting the flower, going from flower to flower, uh, so that pollination occurs. And we have a fruit set. And if those temperatures are too low, bees won't fly. So bees, if the temperatures, as the temperatures start to reduce, there's less and less bee activity. And if it gets around 55 degrees out there, there's not much bee activity at all. 
and the chances of pollinizing of pollinating those open flowers are going to be very reduced so you need bee activity if it's overcast if the sky's cloudy and you don't have any sun out there there's not much for the bees to go on for finding directions so they stay home cool temperatures overcast skies they're all going to be a problem uh, problem for you if you have if you have uh, if you have open flowers and the temperatures are cooler it's an overcast sky one thing you can do if you aren't sure and you're a little excited and you want to find out whether you've got pollination fruit set or not and that is to go up to the flowers wait until the petals are still maybe even clinging on to the old where the flowers are located or they've perhaps even fallen and squeeze at the base of that flower and see if you feel a little tiny ball down at the base because if you do feel a the base of that flower where the flower is attached to the plant itself if you can squeeze in there lightly squeeze it and you can find a little ball in there that'll probably tell you that you're going to have you may have a good chance of having fruit this next year at least it sounds like it may have made it through the cold weather we don't know because we've still got a little bit of a chance that pollination didn't occur on some fruit plants and they'll go ahead and set fruit anyway and then later on they'll fall off plums are notorious for that plums will go ahead and you'll see small fruit and then they'll start to yellow and then that fruit will start to fall off we call that sometimes June drop and so the the plant itself the fruit tree itself may shed some fruit that has not been pollinated and there's kind of a false start and the plant was holds them for a while and then they yellow and then they fall from the tree so you can look for that as well the next question yesterday my neighbor was kind enough to share a jar of apricot jam she made from her 2017 crop of fruit she mentioned however that her trees in 2018 produced hardly enough fruit to go through the jam making process is it possible that our warmish winter was a factor I believe my neighbor's trees came with the house so she doesn't know if they are a low chill variety let's be um, let's be really careful when we start attributing some of these things to chilling having enough winter cold temperatures for fruit to develop or not um, personally I question a little bit uh, what we've identified as chilling requirement for some fruit trees particularly over in the peach apricot categories whether they're accurate or not I mean it, it is possible that you could get some growth on trees you don't have enough winter cold temperatures that your growth will be somewhat will look okay but you won't get the flower production or fruit production that you thought you might get and there are a lot of reasons that you might not get fruit production uh, besides just having the right chilling requirement and that's one factor perhaps but generally speaking we get a lot of chilling in the Las Vegas Valley and just having a warmer winter 
does not mean that you're not going to get good fruit set on some of these varieties. So be a little careful about jumping to that conclusion when you have it. There are so many other reasons uh, for not having a good fruit set. For First of all, what you'll want to do is pay attention to the fruit tree. Did it flower? Maybe the problem was there weren't enough flowers. Maybe that there, the, the, you didn't have enough flowers, so you didn't have the bee activity, and you didn't have the, you didn't have the fruit set that went along with that. I mean, if you didn't have flower production, then we go in a little bit different direction. Then we head towards maybe the soil was a little bit too rich, maybe it was a little too vigorous, maybe it was a little young yet to set fruit, maybe it wasn't quite old enough, the tree wasn't itself old enough. So there's a lot of factors that we can look at if we don't have flower production. But if we had flowers and lots of flowers and we didn't get fruit, then it's a different set of problems and it's a different set of conditions. Now we had flowers, but something happened so that we didn't get a lot of fruit set. That can be a pollination problem. It could be maybe we had those, like I mentioned earlier, cold temperatures or overcast skies during that time when flowers were out there. Maybe maybe we had a freeze that went through and this was a variety that was tender to those freezing temperatures. And so you had open flowers and maybe a freeze went through or you had open flowers and then shortly after the flowers you had small fruit and then a freeze came through and maybe that knocked off a bunch of fruit. Maybe that's the reason why. But typically if you have a really good set of flowers being produced, then something happened to prevent the fruit from forming after the flowers came out. And we'd have to look at what those might be. I guess the, the key here is to pay attention to your fruit trees or your vines, whatever it might be, and look and see and begin to narrow down what the problems may be, whether it's a, a, a fertilizer application problem, whether it's a chilling requirement problem, as this question alluded to, or maybe it was a lack of uh, bee activity, maybe cool temperatures, maybe a freeze went through. There's a lot of different possibilities that we have to work through. In fact, I know that in 2000. 17 and 2018, we had cool, wet springs in the Las Vegas Valley that really reduced fruit set for us. And I know also in the Central Valley in California, they had also a similar problem. And so some types of fruit, depending upon when they flowered and when they set fruit, when the when they needed those bee, that bee activity, they had a problem with certain varieties and those flowers opening at certain times. So be really careful when you start jumping to that conclusion. My Fuji apple tree is now six years old and has never had any flowers. Is it still maturing or should I get rid of it? Well, you didn't tell me whether that Fuji apple was on a dwarfing rootstock or not. And if that's on a full-fledged, its own roots, if it was never grafted onto a, like a M111 or some other semi-dwarfing rootstock, then 
it's going to take six years before we're going to see flower production. And if you really put a lot of fertilizer to it, it's going to take it's going to take even longer. So when we're we've got young trees, we want them to grow, but we don't want them to to grow too aggressively so that it delays the flowering and fruit set on those trees. We want them to grow normally. We want them to have a little bit of growth. Generally speaking, we want new growth somewhere around 12 to 18 inches long, but we don't want three feet of new growth or four feet of new growth. We might look at that and say, wow, we've done a great job as a gardener, but that's not really what that's telling us. It's telling us that we're over applying certain resources that encourage growth. And what are those resources? High nitrogen fertilizers. And that can be in the form of a rich compost. It can be in the form of a high nitrogen mineral fertilizer such as 2100 or or another type of that first number with real that first number where it's a really high number. We want to push some new growth, but we don't want to push too much. Generally speaking, I tell people to look at the growth that occurred this last year. And if we average that growth, and if it's more than 12 to 18 inches, don't fertilize the next year. In fact, what I would tell this person is don't fertilize next year. Give it a chance to flower. It's going to flower. It's going to be a question of when, and it's going to be a question of whether there was a semi-dwarfing rootstock involved in this or not. Because that semi-dwarfing rootstock, like an M111, is going to cause that tree to come into production a little bit earlier if we're not pushing the growth with too much nitrogen fertilizer, if we're not pushing it by really watering it excessively. So in this particular case, you've got a Fuji apple, and Fuji seems to be productive in Arizona, and I've had luck with Fuji, uh, particularly red Fuji, uh, in the Las Vegas area. It wouldn't be my first pick, but I've had some luck with it. So I would think it's going to flower. It's just a matter of time, and what you can do as a fruit tree manager to get it to come into production as early as possible. And that is to go ahead and don't put too much fertilizer down. Don't put any rich compost after the first application at planting time. Don't put any more. Watch that new growth. Let that tree talk to you. Let it show you what it's trying to do, how it's responding to what you're applying how it's responding to those fertilizers, how it's responding to that rich compost. And if it is, make some adjustments. If it's growing excessively, cut back. Don't fertilize for a year. If it's not growing enough, fertilize it. Make sure it's got enough new growth. You need that new growth. You just don't want it to grow excessively. So be careful of that. Next, thanks for your article about mimosa trees and their short lifespan. Ours appears to have a disease problem and falls within that 15-20 year age span you mentioned. Can I plant a new mimosa tree in the same spot if mine was diseased and removed? Well, a mimosa, sometimes called that silk tree, uh, 
in some parts of the country is is considered invasive in other words it is a problem tree florida for instance uh where it stay where the soils can stay wet and it can propagate itself and become kind of a weedy tree and in our case in the mojave desert i mean when we get trees to grow we're really happy and mimosa the silk tree is a really pretty tree. You just got to accept the fact that it's not going to be long lived. And that's because of that mimosa wilt problem, that disease problem that gets into it. And I did some checking uh, with this and found out that we don't want to plant in the same hole. So if you've got a mimosa silk tree, the disease problem is a so what we call a soil borne disease. In other words, it likes moist soils. So we don't want to put it in the same hole, but if you can dig a hole maybe three feet, four feet away from it and put it into that area, you should be fine. The other thing to be careful about when you're planting any kind of a tree, shrub, woody plant, or any kind of plant is just be careful in nicking it or damaging it in some way. I really hate to see roots cut off. I hate to see... The, the plant damaged in some way by a shovel or a planting instrument, an open wound. Just think of open wounds on animals. You don't want those open wounds to come in contact with dirty soil, with soil that we're using around plant. What I mean by dirty is there's a lot of good stuff going on in soils, but there's also always in all soils, there's always a certain amount of bad guys that are in that soil, microorganisms, disease organisms, they're always present. They're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. It's just a matter of a balance of that ecosystem, that soil ecosystem between the good guys and the bad guys. And when you damage a plant, when you cause it to bruise, when you cause it to have an open wound, and those open wounds come in contact with quote-unquote dirty soil, uh, and it's perhaps that plant, especially when it's first planted, is in a little bit of a weakened state because you're moving it from a container, let's say, and putting it in the ground. And so it's going to be a little bit weakened. And to have an open wound and then to create an open wound with a dirty implement, that's why I always like you to use plants and, and instruments, not plants, I instruments, implements, that are sanitized and clean. Wash those shovels off. Clean them off at least. Get the dirt off of them. Sharpen them if you're going to be digging holes with them. Keep them in some way sharpened. Just because they're tools does, doesn't mean that they're going to be rusty, have to be rusty and dirty. They don't have to be rusty and dirty. Rusty is probably okay. Dirty is where I have a problem. Wash them off when we are finished with them clean them up, let them air dry. Air drying is one of the best ways to control some of these disease organisms that can linger onto these implements that we use for digging. Put it into a new soil. Make sure that soil has been composted and it has materials added to it to make those good microorganisms healthy and strong so they have a good chance of fighting and warding off disease organisms that might be in the soil. So let's 
let's uh, let's be careful of that. Let's be careful when we're planting. Okay. Well, I think I hear that music happening about now. I hope you've learned something today. I hope I mentioned some things that you hadn't thought of in the past. Let me know. Drop me a line. And uh, thanks for stopping by. <laughs>